The Trump administration has been plagued by a spate of firings and resignations of late. Reince Priebus was replaced with John Kelly. Anthony Scarra was fired before you could say Mucci. Sebastian Gorka just left saying that the administration had lost its way. And of course, Steve Bannon moved on to his new job, assembling an army of orcs in order to seize the ring and rule Middle Earth. Now, in the latest development from a chaotic White House, Donald Trump himself has quit the Trump administration. Trump left an angry resignation letter to himself in which he told himself that he is no longer the Donald Trump Donald Trump swore to serve when he was elected and that he can't continue to be part of a Donald Trump administration that has separated itself from the Donald Trump agenda and he should know because he is Donald Trump. According to anonymous made-up sources at the New York Times, a former newspaper, the trouble began after Trump made a speech on Afghanistan at Fort Myers that was well received by the press. The next day, however, Trump went to Phoenix, where he let fly with a barn burner calling the press out for their dishonesty and bias. Fort Myers Trump then tweeted that Phoenix Trump had undermined Trump's good reviews by alienating the press just when they were being nice to Trump, whereupon Phoenix Trump angrily tweeted back that Fort Myers Trump had sold out to the elite globalist Chardonnay-sipping conservatives represented by his daughter Ivanka. Trump's slur against Trump's daughter infuriated Trump, who tweeted back that Trump was a loser, whereupon Trump responded by giving himself the nickname Lion Trump and then struck back with a tweet saying that Trump's ratings on The Apprentice were never really as good as he said they were. Trump called this personal attack on himself rude, which Trump replied was just sad, after which sources within the White House told The Times that Trump stopped talking to himself. Although whether that was out of anger or because of new medication, no one was really sure. Rumors have swirled within the administration that it was Chief of Staff John Kelly who forced Trump out because he didn't want Trump to have undue influence on himself or start feeding himself conspiracy theories from Infowars or recipes from MarthaStewart.com. Others within the administ administration maintain that the rumors of a feud are fake news ginned up by a biased press and that, in fact, Trump left the administration on good terms with himself. One thing everyone agrees on, however, is that with Trump gone, the Trump administration will finally rise above the chaos that has dogged its first months and really get down to the business of carrying out Trump's agenda, which they'll proceed to do just as soon as Ivanka tells them what it is. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dunky. Ship-shape-dipsy-topsy, low-end is a bitty-zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. All right, Stephen Crowder is with us today. You know him from Louder with Crowder and from the wanted posters in your local post office. Uh, you may be saying to yourself, that looks like you're sitting in Ben Shapiro's uh, set. And the reason is there has been a coup. No, that's not That's not the reason. The reason is, is, is that the air conditioning has broken down or is being replaced at the Daily Wire. We are in the valley where it is about 100 degrees, literally outside 100 degrees, about 110 degrees inside. So if in the middle of the show I should stop speaking or moving, it's uh, because I've died. Uh, don't worry about it. Just they'll come and clean me up later on. But uh, we, we are going to push through. And the, uh, what is it? Shapiro set just stays naturally cool because he's such a frosty guy. I think yeah. that's what it is. He just, just radiates Shapiro's. That's it. It's that cold. The cold heart. It's the cold heart that chills the Ben Shapiro studios. Uh, tomorrow, 
is Mailbag Day. Yes, it's Mailbag Day. That means you can ask any question you want, personal, religious, political, anything you want. We will answer that question, solve all your problems, answers guaranteed, 100% correct, and will change your life on occasion for the better. But you got to subscribe. You have to be a subscriber. It's a lousy 10 bucks a month. Then you can we can solve all the problems of your life. And seriously, you press a button on the podcast page, right? Mm-hmm. On the podcast page, it shows you, press the button, send in your questions. Seriously, we have gotten very... Very uh, good results with their questions, and if you subscribe for a year, it's only a lousy hundred bucks a month. Plus, <laughs> you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. The best thing about this Tumblr, besides the Leftist Tears inside it, is it's not Stephen Crowder's crummy little mug that he had made in the mines of Mordor by dwarves or something like that. Um, anyway, that's uh, that is what you want to do with that. Uh, what I am doing, personally, you know, for my birthday, you didn't know this. You didn't get me this. You didn't get me anything for my birthday, actually. You know? I run your show. <laughs> I'm supposed to be thankful. Are you? Uh, I don't know. I got a piano. For, I got a keyboard for my birthday. Do I know? You may ask, do I know how to play a keyboard? No, is the answer, but I'm going to learn. But I do not have time to go out to some guy and get a lesson, so I'm going to try to do it online, and that's why there is Skillshare. Skillshare is this wonderful site where people can go. You know, it's it's for professionals who are looking to get a, a leg up if you want to learn a new skill, but it's also for people who just are into learning new things like me. I mean, people who just want to move on and, you know, keep your mind moving, because if you stop learning you stop living. Skillshare, it's an online learning community with over 15,000 classes in things like design, business, logo design, social media marketing, street photography, and there's unlimited access to all of this for a low monthly price. You never have to pay per class again. So it's, it's not like, I always hate this on apps when they get you get involved in them and suddenly they stop and say, oh yeah, you can have an in-app, you can buy more. You don't have to do that. It's one price. It's got all kinds of things, design, photography, marketing, entrepreneurship. So if you're trying to move up in your, in your job or just expand what you do, Skillshare is giving my listeners a month of unlimited access absolutely free. You go to www.skillshare.com slash Andrew. Let me give you that again. www.skillshare.com slash Andrew. You can redeem your free month. Test out the videos I did, and they really are useful, taught by people who know what they're doing. And like I said, you can watch the entire thing for one price. So we're complaining about the heat here, but of course, things are really going bad in Houston. We're praying for them. We love them. You know, Texas... Texas is not just like a great state. They always say the great state, any state that gets hit by a disaster, we say it's a great state. But Texas is a special state because like it represents, it has been the representative of all things American during this period of transitionary period of time when all things American have been under attack. The Obama administration where he spent all that time apologizing for America, wrong-footing America, saying America was to blame for things. Texas stood tall and Texas, all the, all the good stuff that happened in the Obama economy, the the lowering of um, of unemployment and all that, it was all generated in Texas because Texas didn't do what Obama wanted to do. They didn't follow his policies, and so they keep creating jobs. It's a wonderful place to live. We're so sorry that Houston is uh, struggling. You know, everything the media does with this, you can watch them looking for a way to blame Trump. How do we blame Trump for this? If he, he says he's going to go, he's going down there now. I think while we're talking, he is on his way to Corpus Christi. He doesn't want to go to Houston because he doesn't want to divert resources to take care of the president while he's, uh, while they need him for the disaster relief. But, you know, it's like, is he going to Katie tour on MSNBC? Is he going too soon? Remember when Bush didn't go because he didn't want to divert resources? It was like, oh my, he doesn't care. Bush doesn't care about black 
black people. So it's whatever they can do, looking for some way to blame. It's climate change, it's all this stuff. They're looking for all these ways to blame things. My least favorite narrative, and I mentioned this yesterday, but it's worth talking about again, is this one where they say, it takes a catastrophe to bring us together. See, that's crap. These people who are out there rescuing each other, who are carrying each other to safety, like we keep saying people of all uh, races, you know, colors and creeds are out there helping people of all races, colors and creeds. These people weren't enemies yesterday. It's not a disaster that brought them together. It's only a disaster that put them on the news. It's only a disaster that put them on the news because the news is always about the people who are screaming the loudest, especially if they're screaming leftist stuff, and especially if they're, you know, accusing people of racism and all this stuff that really isn't as big a problem off the news as it is on the news. So it's really not that the catastrophe brought people together, it's that the catastrophe put the people as they are, as they so always are really, as they often are, on the news, and that is really the difference. Meanwhile, what really is interesting, uh, Trump gave a press conference yesterday because he was with the Finnish president, the president of Finland, and of course, if, if Finnish, by the way, is the most complicated language on earth, I think, so I, I'm not sure anybody knew what the president of Finland was saying, but really, who cares? <laughs> so he gave, Trump gave a press conference, and it was a fascinating press conference because it shows you that so much of what Trump does is calculated and he is at war with this press that is at war with him. We always talk about how the press is at war with Trump and how they're trying to pull all this stuff on him. But let me just show you a couple of things that I just thought went past people. They, they cited them, they cited the, the sound bites, but they didn't talk about what they really were. You know, Trump pres uh, pardoned Sheriff Joe Arpaio, which of course is just another proof to the left of what a racist guy was. And like I said, I don't like Joe Arpaio, but he uh, pardoned him because he's a symbol of strong borders, which Trump supports, and of protect and law and order. Law and order, because leaving open borders is anti the rule of law. So one of the reporters, uh, I think it was uh, John Roberts from Fox, asked him about this, and I, I want to just look at the. Uh, yeah, this is number one. He asked him about the timing during the hurricane. This is cut one. In the middle of uh, Hurricane Harvey hitting on Friday night, you chose to pardon former Sheriff Joe Arpaio. I wonder if you could tell us what was behind your thinking for issuing a pardon uh, for the sheriff, and as well, what do you say to your critics, even some in your own party, who say it was the wrong thing to do? Well, a lot of people think it was the right thing to do, John. And actually, uh, in the middle of a hurricane, even though it was a Friday evening, I assumed the ratings would be far higher than they would be normally. You know, the hurricane was just starting. <laughs> so he's telling you he wanted the ratings to be higher, okay? Now listen to Dana Bash, who is uh, Hillary Clinton's surrogate and a reporter for CNN, for some reason. I'm not sure. I didn't know you could do both those jobs. But uh, Dana Bash is basically just a Democrat. Well, they're all, they all are. The whole CNN team are just Democrat operatives with press cards. As Glenn Reynolds at Instapundit always says, and here she is reacting to that cut and giving it, spinning it for the worst possible interpretation. Listen to this. He had just come from a rally where uh, Je uh, the president was just talking about it in Jeff's report, uh, where he got a lot of praise for it, but he was preaching to the choir there. I mean, these were the people who uh, were kind of keeping Joe Arpaio afloat as, uh, as kind of a, an iconic figure in that community, whereas in most other communities, many other communities, he was vilified and even, you know, bit found to be, to be doing things that are absolutely illegal. To make illegal. an obvious point, the people at the rally, their homes are underwater. 
Well, okay. Their homes are underwater and that, right and that, now. And that goes to my next point, mm -hmm. which is, even if he is tongue-in-cheek, which I don't think he was, the notion of the President of the United States saying that he announced something because ratings were high, where people were fleeing their, their homes, excuse me, fleeing their homes, uh, underwater, and some people losing their lives yeah. is abhorrent. So the Hillary Clinton surrogate, Dana Bash, tells us that it was abhorrent. Now, listen to, listen to what she did. I mean, listen to what she did. Trump said, I wanted, uh, I was surprised that the ratings weren't that good. So she immediately says, oh, well, first of all, he's encouraged to pardon Arpaio because of the people at his Phoenix rally. They were all white, which A, wasn't true, and B, is, is just her interpretation. That's what she sees. That's what racists see. The racists see the color of people's skin. They don't see, you know, that these are people who like Trump and they have reason to like Trump. No clue. Just all white. It's all about white, 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 white. That's all it is. Then the worst thing is people are, are desperate and he's just trying to get ratings. That's not what was going on there at all. What Trump was saying to them is, I don't buy into your narrative. And this is why people love him. This is why people love him. It's not that he fights back about the, against the narrative. It's that he is stomping on the narrative like Godzilla on Tokyo. That is why people love Trump. It's because they have enwrapped, uh, ensnared the GOP in this web of narrative where we see why are our Republicans, why are the Republicans in the majority so spineless? Why are they so divided? Why are they so afraid? Why do they abandon the president at the drop of a hat? It's because they're scared of Dana Bash. It's because they're scared of what the New York Times will say to them. This has always been, always been the hit on Republicans that they sit around and they tell their base, oh yeah, the New York Times, terrible New York Times, but all they want is a pat on the head from the New York Times, like John McCain playing to this. All they want to do is pick up their copy of the Times in the morning and see it. And Trump is telling them, nope, we are living by a different narrative. When he talked about uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, the way he talked about him, he was telling them exactly what his narrative was and what their narrative was. This is cut number three. Sheriff Joe is a patriot. Sheriff Joe loves our country. Sheriff Joe protected our borders, and Sheriff Joe was very unfairly treated by the Obama administration, especially right before an election, an election that he would have won. So, and he was elected many times. So, um, I stand by my pardon of Sheriff Joe, and I think the people of Arizona who really know him best would agree with me. So Trump is playing cards with these guys. He is playing poker with the press, playing chicken with the press. And what the press is constantly saying is, oh, yeah, but we're winning because his popularity is dropping. But Newt Gingrich wrote this piece, what the elite media won't tell you about approval ratings. And he said, according to the elite media, President Trump is a negative, dangerous, unpredictable leader who's getting more and more unpopular. The most recent average of polls has Trump at 39 percent approval. One news analyst wrote that Trump is turning us from a 50-50 country to a 60-40 country with the new majority consolidating against the president. And this is part of the narrative. He's destroying the Republican Party because he's not following our narrative. Our narrative is the truth. Our narrative is this is a racist country. If you don't come out and say that it's a racist country, if you don't stand up against the Nazis more than against the Antifa fascists, 
then you too are part of the racism. We, uh, all these people are white, as Dana Bash says. They're all white. They're all white. That's their sin. But as Newt Gingrich goes on in their eagerness to declare the Trump presidency a failure, the elite media is failing to inform us of two things. First, President Reagan had a similar period during his first term when his approval rating fell to 35 percent, and he carried 49 states in the next landslide re-election and went on to oversee an economic boom and change world history by pushing the Soviet Union into collapse. So history tells us that presidential approval ratings at this point are not indicative of a president's future success. And second, Gingrich goes on, in addition to failing to contextualize President Trump's approval ratings in history, the elite media is ignoring the president. president where Emmanuel Macron in France, all these other leaders, they love Macron. He was at 64% when he took office. Now he's at 36% below Trump. They can't explain it, so they don't try to. And it's not just Macron. British Prime Minister uh, Theresa May earned a 34% satisfaction rate. Japanese Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe had a July approval rate of 34.2%. The Democratic Party in the United States received 38% approval in June. And but you know who, who agrees with this? Michael Moore. Michael Moore was correct. He predicted that Donald Trump was going to win the presidency. He did it in that bitter, angry way that just sells his point of view so well to all of us. And he says now that he thinks that uh, Trump will do it again. He said, what did he say? He said, I'm, he's not going to be reelected. He's going to be reappointed because we will have an even larger population that will vote against him in 2020, but he will win the same electoral votes uh, from the states as they stand now. And we're going to take a closer look at all this with Steven Crowder. But in order to take a closer look, we have to be able to see. <laughs> you can't see if your eyesight is no good. You know, I used to wear contact lenses and I stopped because they were just too expensive and too annoying to constantly have to run out and get new ones. You know, you have your glasses, at least you know where they are. You don't have, you pay for them once, you don't have to keep pay, paying for them. And the reason for that is that about 97% of the, of the uh, contact lens market was controlled by just for people until now, because now there is Hubble, and you can get a fresh pair of lenses from Hubble every single day for much, much, much less. 60 contact, 60 contacts for $30, which is just $1 a day, which is half the price of the other brands. So you go to HubbleContacts.com, and you can get your first two weeks free. Now, I tried them before. Last time when I was talking about Hubble, I hadn't tried them before because they hadn't sent me with them. I put them on. These are incredibly good quality contacts, as good as anything you're going to get at the store, but they cost about half as much. So go to HubbleContacts.com. You get your first two weeks of lenses for free, 15 pairs of lenses for free. It's a deal you cannot beat. Hubble is offering my listeners two weeks of free contacts. Go to HubbleContacts.com. Get 2020 vision for half the price. Is that 1010 vision? No, it's half the price. You still get the 2020 vision, but it's half the price. It's H-U-B-B-L-E, Contacts. Dot com. They really are good. I tested them out. They are as comfortable as you can get. So we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube because you don't subscribe. But you can come over to thedailywire.com and listen. If you subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month, you can watch the whole thing right on the site. If you subscribe for the year for 100 bucks, you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which most importantly will replace your Steven Crowder uh, mug. Steven Crowder is on the way. Have we got Crowder? Yep. All right, he's coming on right after this.
you know, we were talking yesterday with Knowles about the fact that YouTube has kind of opened war on conservative sites. And this is something that Crowder knows a lot about because Crowder has built his business up from the ground, learning about uh, YouTube and Google and all the different uh, internet, you know, ins and outs more than any other person I know in the movement. He really did. Maybe Jeremy here, or the God King of the Daily Wire, maybe he knows as much about it, but Crowder was really out ahead of the curve. Singer Joy Vila, is that how you pronounce it? Vila? She is the pro-Trump singer, and she's very good, and she's burning up the charts. She is battling with YouTube to keep her song, Make America Great Again, on, because they keep finding little reasons. They pretend it's about this, and they pretend it's about that. But she says that Kaya Jones, who is also a, a Trump supporter, has a song, What the Heart Don't Know, and they're trying to get rid of that, too. This is a war against conservatives. This is an attempt to silence conservatives. So listen to Joy Vila while she's still on, because they took it off and they put it back on, and she says now they're trying to take it off again. Listen to a little bit of Make America Great Again. Seems like we lost our The lies that we've been told have put our dreams on hold. And you know if we don't watch out, we could all go under and drown. Yeah, the future depends on us. So we gotta wake up, gotta shake it up now. And let's make America It's a good, it's an actual good song, and it has all these pictures of all the different, if you couldn't see it, all the different crazy, eccentric, different colored people who do, in fact, make America great. All right, Stephen Crowder, you know him from Louder with Crowder, from the uh, posters in your post office, from the little picture on the side of the milk carton. Uh, he is over at CRTV on his set, talking on the phone, because he's just one of those Hollywood guys. You're well, just... I don't know why they were saying they would, no one answered me. I was sitting here for, all right. Is it like, was it sitting here going, can you see me and hear me? No, you look like an idiot. <laughs> Am I on air? <laughs> you are. And we've been laughing at you. You look like, you just look oh, dumb. Thanks, thanks and, and, you, and you have a, and you have like, <laughs> I hear you. I'm sitting like, can you hear me? Talk, talk to me. <laughs> and, and by the way, your mug looks stupid. You should get a leftist tears tumbler. Your mug is ridiculous. Uh, well, we, we have one. It just couldn't, it didn't withstand the crash test, unfortunately. <laughs> That's just my coffee, but when I change taste, I'll let you know. I saw you. I saw you doing that, the office space destruction of uh, the leftist tears. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're uh, we have, uh We have them around here somewhere, you know, somewhere. I believe somewhere. But... Uh, so we're talking about YouTube censoring people, and you, uh, you have been, I have to say, you were out... Uh, far ahead of the curve on dealing with YouTube, dealing with online stuff. I remember you're talking to me on the phone before you ever went on the air and describing it to me in such detail that I thought to myself, this guy is the most boring person I have ever met. Uh, but you were right about everything. You actually put it together. Have they, do they give you problems? 
Uh, no, I, I am your your Nostradamus now. Yeah, I, every now and then we get it right. Uh, and this is just a realm where I happen to know a little bit. You know, um, well, you know, Daily Wire. Uh, some of your people went out there to the YouTube summit, and what really bothered me about that was there were, there were all these other think tank people out there. You know, who were sitting there like, oh yes, YouTube was saying, you know, there's no bias, there's no there's no selective, uh, uh, you know, suppressing of voices here. I, I reserve using the word censorship, even though you know censorship can be cultural and it can be kind of self-inflicted with YouTube. It's not government censorship. So hold hold your hate mail. People are like it's not the first. I'm not saying it's the First Amendment, but um, people said you know they were we were kind of Eddie Haskell, and there was a moment there at this YouTube summit where they were talking about all these legal rights and they couldn't answer any of my questions, where they had this girl go up from I think it was Next Gen News. So it's a lot of hip hop news and kind of tabloidy news. And what was so funny is she started playing a clip there at the summit. She was one of the featured speakers, and it was just N-bomb, N-bomb, F-bomb, and so the point where everyone, like, rushed to turn down the clip. <laughs> and uh, I asked her, I said, hey, have, you know, with the recent rash of, of, uh, of child-friendly content and demonetization, have, have you seen a, a lot of that in, on your videos, the adpocalypse? And she said, no, not at all. Wow. And I looked out at the room. And the only people who actually were allies at all there, fun enough, among m many of the conservatives were the, were the Daily Wire people, where they got it. Like, thanks for asking questions. Unfortunately, conservatives try and be polite or they're cowardly and they don't speak out. Um, and then on the flip side, you have this thing with Joy Villa and, and Kara Jones. Uh, I don't necessarily know that this is proof of, of censorship. And I don't want to be the boy who cried censorship. When we come out and we point some, you know, like with Facebook, legally, you know, uh, we were in the right. We 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 effectively won. You know, it was it didn't. We nothing went to court, but we filed a petition of information. People need to go through the proper channels to correct these people. You know, they need to snap the leash a little bit. They need to correct these these social media giants because they're like children. They don't necessarily understand. But we don't want to scream censorship when it's not really happening. You know, with Kaya Jones and Joy Villa. Um, it seems like some people who were, were videotaped didn't want to be in the video. She claims she has releases. Now, we've run into that with YouTube, too. We had to go back and blur faces of people. Even though they signed releases to be on video, YouTube doesn't honor the single-party consent state laws because they just don't want people mad. They typically give you a window to blur out the face or to fix the error in a video when that happens. So she, I, I need to know more that, about their... Yeah. She did. She blurred out the faces of the she, people who didn't want to be. She blurred out the face of the one person who didn't want to, and then they started to complain that it came back, that she was in it twice or something like that. I mean, you know, the thing is, no. it's not, it's, they do it subtly enough. It's not Jim Crow against conservative. It's more like Northern bigotry, where like they just seat you in the wrong place, you know, but they seat you by the men's room, you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of like a, it's I a little small. I'm looking at school. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you're, you're right. And that's, that's the issue is really, you know, getting down to it. And so I, we want to be accurate with it, but it is happening at YouTube. Um, we, for example, you know Lee Dorn? I think you know Lee Dorn. He's a friend of mine. He did How the World Works. He, yes. he was one of the first YouTubers. And he hasn't done a video. He just released his first video in a year. And it, the only reason he was spurred on to do it was because YouTube removed a video of his from a year ago. Now, I went through my channels, and I, and I got it back up. So YouTube said it was a mistake. Good on them. I want to give them credit where it's due. They did fix it. But would they have fixed it if I didn't go in and, and have direct context at the head of YouTube? You know what his video was? His video was about how the Japanese weren't the victims in World War II because there was, there was a rash of YouTube videos because, oh, we dropped the nuke and it made these, these the Japanese people out to be these sympathetic characters, not, not a part of the axis of evil with the Nazis. Um, and he explained, uh, the Japanese also explained about their, their aggression, their encroachment with China. And this video was removed as hate speech. So it was a glitch. But my concern is that they have a lot of glitches with smaller channels. And so I never want to be that guy who says, well, we're unaffected, like a lot of big conservative sites sometimes. They'll do that because we're, we're, we're effectively, you know, 
amongst the the biggest YouTube conservative YouTube channels out there and certainly the biggest comedy channel, but I don't want to turn a blind eye to a lot of other mid-sized and small channels who are getting, who are feeling the brunt of this. So uh, I've always encouraged them to tweet me at, at S Crowder if that's happening and we, we look into it. They, I mean, they, they have been selling themselves this narrative for a hundred years, well, not for a hundred years, but it's definitely since the sixties that there's their opinion and then there's hate. There's their way of yep. looking at it, and then everything else is hatred. So it's very easy for them to slip into this idea that anybody who says anything of a conservative—I mean, look at look—you know, this thing with Antifa. Antifa. Now we got to put the accent on the T. It's, it's on the wrong syllable. <laughs> yeah, but, but, <laughs> wrong syllable. Yeah. But it, but it's okay if you get it wrong and they just hit you over the head with a stick. You know, they, here they are. They're beating people up. You know, you know Larry O'Connor, right? Yeah, 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 I know Larry yeah, O'Connor. Yeah, uh, hosts that show in uh, DC now. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really good guy, he's a bright part guy, and he he wrote this thing today where he was saying the media does not go around when Antifa dress up in masks and they beat people up. It doesn't go around to every Democrat and say, "Will you disavow? Will you disavow these people the way they do with us and the Nazis?" Basically, I mean, they keep coming at us like we're we have some connection to the Nazis. Don't you find that kind of double standard is going on all the time? Yeah, I think it really sucks. I th here's something else. I was reading this today where it said the L.A. Times said, you know, Antifa protesters prove to be problem for grass, you know, for left wing activists. <laughs> yeah. And I had this realization uh, because they'll say, you know, listen, everyone disavows right away the, the white supremacists or white nationalists, whoever it is, mainstream conservatives. Right. Um, but they say Antifa proves to be problem for left wing activists. OK, this was the headline or the subtext of the headline. Can you name me any other left wing activism groups today? that aren't associated directly with or in support of organizations like Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I mean, if you remove all the organizations that, that commit terrorist acts and burn down their own crap, by the way, so you remove Antifa, you remove Black Lives Matter, um, you remove Indivisible, you remove, you know, P-hat economics, sorry, I know we want to keep this clean here. Unfortunately, the Democrats <laughs> make it impossible when you're using the social lexicon because it's in there for me. Have you seen my paper mache vagina? Oh, great. <laughs> so if you remove all these organizations, mm. can you think of any left-wing? Mm. Who, who are the left-wing activists who are having a problem? All of the left-wing activists are in support of these organizations. That's the truth. I don't want to tar and feather anyone because of a small, but it is left-wing activism. It's all it is. I mean, it's it, even the press. I mean, it is the press. They, was, CNN said they're they're using violence in support of peace. I mean, that's CNN's take on Antifa. You know, thank you very yeah. much. I mean, look, you got to look. You you are. I I I hate to admit this, but you are one of the funniest people I I know. And. You have to look at the at comedy. Well, that is best just the tumblers going to your head. <laughs> no, it's just I mean, it's, it, you, you're not intentionally funny. I'm laughing at you, of course. But like yeah. that you, you've got to look at late night comedy. I mean, this this kind of drives me crazy. I look at every single comedian is a Trump hater and their level of comedy is F Trump. And then everybody shouts how transgressive and original and creative that is. And that's yeah. it. I mean, there is nobody on the, not one person on the other side. I mean, that's got to make you a little nuts. Well, no, because we're the only one, so we're really happy with it. Like, we're, we've never been trying to compete with cable news with this show, right? It's it's a late-night show. People who watch it, this is the only really conservative late-night show. Like, there was a, a couple awful attempts where, and you know this, as a, as a guy who's been a, a tremendous writer, an like a prolific writer for our time, writing scripts and writing books, you've, it's got to piss you off when conservatives who've made their money in banking or conservatives who've made their money in nonprofits go, I know, I'll do entertainment now. And they just take someone and they try to make them a host. So there have been some half-hearted attempts at that in conservatism. But yeah, I mean, did you do you know 
the, the actual numbers, like nightly, lure, uh, nightly viewers for, for Jimmy Fallon right now, you know, the, the Tonight Show. Do you know what the numbers are? No. T take a guess, because I was surprised. Uh, it's got to, I mean, millions, I would guess. I mean, I don't know. It's like, what, what would be a good audience for, for a show like that? Yeah, on Fun. NBC, The Tonight Show. The Tonight Show used to be, am I wrong to say The Tonight Show used to be in the tens of millions? Yeah, no, you're not wrong at all. Yeah. Back to Johnny Carson. And then when it was, the, you know, Letterman and Leno, they were, you know, seven, eight million a piece. Okay. And then towards the end of it, Leno, you know, he's doing the bottom, bottom was, you know, five. Fallon's getting two million people. Wow. You know, Trevor Noah's not wow. getting a million people. Right. So when you look at the hundreds of millions of dollars behind these people, I mean, we're, we're incredible. We don't, we're not people who go out and talk about our numbers a lot, but we're incredibly grateful. And that's why um, these people are having a problem. They're losing their influence. They're losing their impact. And I know some of it is measured by, by Hulu. You look at these things, but when you look at like Amy Schumer, like Amy Schumer's show, a good example, her last season on Comedy Central was doing 495,000 viewers in the 24 hour period. And they reran it like three times. Wow. And that includes like Cartoon Network. So these people are <laughs> losing their stranglehold. So I think, you know, we've just tried to move on past this where conservatives, you know, they're, they're really good at bitching and sometimes they're not, sometimes they're not really good at taking action. We've moved past this idea that like, oh, why isn't our conservative doing it? We're, we're just doing it and we're, we're happy with, with the thing growing. We're happy with people who, who, who tune in and support the show. And, um, and it, pretty quickly, they're calling it the race to the middle in media. A lot of people don't really understand that this is why you're seeing YouTube, yeah. a lot of the censorship ties back into it because it's the race to the middle. A, lot, a, big, a big portion of the success of late night shows now is measured by YouTube, actually. Hmm. So for some people, that's more important than their nightly viewership. And so you're seeing Samantha Bee, you're seeing Trevor Noah, you're seeing all these other shows, Conan and these shows, you know, that sort of second tier shows. We're, we're pretty tit for tat with them, considering that we were a show that started in, in a den with me and my not gay producer. Like we're, really? pretty, we're pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. well, we'll take yeah. it. Yeah. Like the James Corden's <laughs> and those shows. Um, and uh, it, what's happening is these big studios are going, oh my gosh, the capital on YouTube, they don't really make money, but their capital is their eyeballs. Their capital is their viewership. And there's far less viewership on television. So they're going after the capital on YouTube, the viewers. But the problem is viewers organically are rejecting them. Again, comparably, when you're taking into account budget, right? You know, you might have Seth Meyers, you might have Conan have overall bigger viewership. When you add in the hundreds of millions of dollars, it's not really the same as someone right. who just has, you know, a few people on YouTube. And so they're racing to the middle. They go, we know we're never going to get 15 million viewers again or even 6 million. And the people who are doing podcasts, who are doing hundreds of thousands, they're getting up well into the millions. And then these late night shows are coming down. And it's that race to the middle. And YouTube is trying to appeal to the people, not necessarily who have the best viewership who have the best content but who have the most money you know it's it's really good for youtube to cozy up to time warner by the way isn't that funny that john oliver people don't talk about this went after the sinclair broadcasting group about this you know about them <laughs> buying up these local stations like you your parent company is time warner merging with at&t there couldn't be a worse more satanic leviathan than this than this <laughs> it's this unholy conglomeration i i cannot believe totally ignores it so it's a really exciting time with with media uh in the sense that conservatives don't just have to complain anymore they can That's, do it you that, guys are doing that that is you're you're absolutely right and conservatives are a little bit like the jews they can't take yes for an answer and i, I think sometimes whoa 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 no i can say this i can say that because i'm in shapiro's studio so i get a pass uh, all right <laughs>
because he went with the Ed Furlong American History X hairdo. So it's <laughs> it it about your hat. Uh, I have to ask you, before I let you go, I have to ask you the all-important question. You are a mixed martial artist, by which I mean that you can actually, I think, in two out of three falls, you can probably beat your wife in a fight. And is, <laughs> what did you think? What did you think of the Mayweather-Magruder uh, match? I, it, it, went, it, went, it went about exactly as I expected. As a matter of fact, tonight we're having a Sacred Cow uh, uh, cookout. We're debunking <laughs> of Bruce Lee. Bruce, we're we're going to get more hate for this than Bruce Lee. It's a total farce. The guy never fought a day in his life. He was 10 pounds lighter and two inches shorter than not gay Jared. Was lucky to squat night. Was weak as a kitten. Couldn't fight. Didn't know anything about martial arts and was a compulsive liar. And this this, this new film came out, right? You know, with him and what Wong Jack Man. Like, ah, twenty minute battle. It was three minutes, and they were fighting like children. And none of the eyewitness accounts were consistent. So yeah, listen. Right. That being said, uh, right now I'm not training. I have like knees, like Mr. Glass from Unbreakable. So I've had a recurring <laughs> knee problem surgery. Oh, all right. Um, excuses, but, um, excuses. Yeah. Excuses, excuses. Yeah. Now that being said, I'm still pretty sure I could strangle uh, Floyd Mayweather on live television. <laughs> when I watched, I see Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, and it's boxing. And I didn't expect Conor to do well. I think he, I said he has a few tricks up his sleeves. We're actually going to have his coach, Coach Kavanaugh, on the show this week. Um, but it, it went about exactly as, you know, Floyd Mayweather's a slow starter, and uh, I don't think he planned to lose the rounds. He's always a slow starter to feel it, feel it out. I don't think he planned on taking that kidney punch. I don't think he planned on getting worked at all. He just, but he was probably giving uh more space to connor than uh than connor maybe knew and he was he was going up he, he was depleting his gas tank and that being said i watched this fight and it just makes me realize how dead boxing is right before floyd and connor the, the audience is empty i'm like this is a world title match and the guy pulled up he's got like 19 belts and like he got him at mcdonald's with a happy meal hey i'm the because there's like 25 divisions in the ufc <laughs> there's five no one watches it anymore it doesn't mean and when the defense here's one thing i will say now people are gonna be bored what are we talking about fighting one thing i will say if you watch classic boxing it's much more similar to connor's style now why is that and then and then people can can then we'll, we'll, we'll go but this is, right. this is kind of interesting as far as history because boxing before they got these big pillow punching gloves guess what you couldn't do this peekaboo guard because, see here, I can still get hit. It right. doesn't work when you don't have giant gloves. So that and people, you, they would also break their hands a lot. So it was a lot more circling, pawing, and trying to line up a shot. Once they got the big gloves and the quadruple wraps on their hands, then all of a sudden you start seeing that punches and bunches because no one's afraid of their hands. And so it changed the defense. So you see Floyd Mather doing this and then working the rules ducking down and turning his back, which is li like literally 15 times in the fight. It's like, please strangle me. Please strangle the white belt. I a blue belt in jujitsu. It wouldn't even be close. So listen, Floyd Mayweather is probably the best defensive boxer that has ever lived. Leagues better than Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson than that. For not even close. Not even close. That being said, he's not even close to an adequately prepared fighter. And I I'm really excited that we're in a time in history where that BS has been debunked. Just as kind of a skeptic, That's I know it doesn't sound political, but the Bruce Lee thing, the boxing thing, the kung fu thing, we know that it was all a lie, that none of it ever worked. And I'm happy about that. Wow. I got to say, you know, uh, Crowder does know a lot about this because so many people want to punch him. Stephen Crowder from Louder with Crowder. Uh, it's great. It's great to see you. I never get to see you. I only get to interview you and be interviewed by you. But it's <laughs> but it's good to see well, you. You never, have, you never have me on the show. I'll come anytime. But I, you know, I'll come anytime. Just don't just watch it with the with the, the Jew comment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll see you later, Steve. It's good to see you. Thank you. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's, I'm glad he didn't uh, escape from his box and run back to the jungle before we had a chance yeah. to talk to him. Uh, sexual follies. 
Do we have sexual violence? <laughs> I don't even want to do the spots anymore. I just want to have the opening and the close. New, here's new figures released. Well, these are not new figures now. There's about a year ago. But they show that overall reported crimes on college campuses decreased by 34% between 2001 and 2013. However, reports of forcible sex crimes on college campuses increased by 126% over this same period. And rates are rising in sheer numbers. Between 2012 and 2013 alone, the reported number of forcible sex crimes rose almost 25% from 4,000 to 5,000. Does that mean that, in fact, suddenly you go to college and you get raped? I do not believe this is. Something happened in those years, in that year, especially in 2012, that really changed everything. And what it was was what is called a dear colleague letter from the Obama administration, from an office in the, a federal agency, the federal agency charged with enforcing the federal anti-discrimination statutes like Title IX, right? Title IX was basically the, the uh, statute that forbid discrimination on the basis of sex, and it was basically put in there to make sure that girls got enough sports events. That was its main use. Barack Obama rein, uh, reinterpreted this to include sexual harassment and sexual attacks and encouraged, that's, that's not fair to say, demanded essentially that any college, any university which took federal funds, and that includes universities where people get federal loans, so it's like basically almost every university. I mean, Hillsdale, I think Hillsdale College is one of the very, very few that doesn't accept it, but everybody else, they told them, you had better bring these people, when, when a woman makes a charge against a man, you hold the tribunal and you should accept the preponderance of evidence. That means if it seems likely, if it seems likely that this guy did it, you convict him and both the defendant and the accused have the right to appeal. So that means if you're cleared, the person, you can be tried again. So all of due process was thrown out the window and suddenly we have this absolute uh, monstrous thing of, of men on campus who can be accused by any girl who doesn't like what happened last night or any girl who just doesn't like him or anybody else. And they are now put before this kangaroo court because, of course, rape is a horrible, horrible crime. It should be investigated by the police so that due process is out there. But what has really happened? I mean, there, there are stories now where a third person, there's a story about a uh, an athlete. Uh, what was her name? She is a, um, she was an athlete who went out with an athlete and she, she, here it is. Um, I'll, I'll get it right now. It is um, Matt Bormeister was the guy. He was a, a former USC football key, uh, kicker. And Zoe Katz, who was the tennis player, and they were wrestling with each other. They were clowning around, horse, ho you know, having some horseplay. And somebody reported this as rape, and they just began to torment her because she was defending her boyfriend, saying the guy has always treated me great. We were horsing around, and some other bitter, you know, person phoned this in, and now I'm the now Zoe is the villain, is being treated like a villain because she won't do it. This is a war, part of the war against men that is being waged by feminists. That's what it comes down to, and really, it starts. I think, I believe that it starts with feminists trying to convince women that their attitude towards sex is exactly the same as men. Men we know 
kind of, you know, have a, a fairly cold attitude towards sex. They have a very powerful external uh, sex drive. It doesn't mean they don't want to bond. It doesn't mean that they don't want to love people. It simply means that their sex drive can overpower their wits. Everybody knows this. Men can be very quickly overpowered by lust so that they sleep with anything that moves and they will throw away a lifetime of commitment. They will throw away their promises. They'll do all kinds of stupid things. A couple of drinks, a couple of drinks and a couple of winks and they will throw away everything they believe. So they told these women, oh, well, it's the same for you. You can treat sex the same way. But of course, women you know, want more bonding. They, they're different than men. Women are different than men. That's what it comes down to. And they want, they want more bonding. They want more protection. They want more commitment. And so you had these girls going out and getting plastered to prove that they could keep up with the men and to also not be left out, you know, because if that's what women are doing to get attention, then you want to be part of the game. So they get plastered. Guys take advantage of them when they're plastered. Guys who are also plastered, who are no more in no more condition to make a decision than the girl is, and then suddenly they wake up and they say they're raped. And of course, in my day, we had a rule, right? And this uh, this rule was put into practice several times by even yours truly. When a girl had had too much to drink, you took her home. You took her home. You didn't take advantage of her because you were being chivalrous. My daughter, Faith Moore, uh, has a... Um, has uh, writes for PJ Media, and you can find her on the parenting page at PJ Media. And she wrote a piece called Please for Everyone's Sake, Teach Your Sons to Be Chivalrous. And she was talking about the fact that she was in the park, in a city park, with her son, my grandson, and some guy came along and stole her diaper bag, you know, because women keep everything in the diaper bag. And this guy walked off with her diaper bag. She saw him and she just lost it and she picked up her son, put him on her hip and ran after the guy, wagged her finger in his face and said, give me back my bag. And not a single man, and there were men there, not a single man came up to help her. And she said, she said, in the era of radical feminism, in which women and men are supposedly exactly the same, a man coming to a woman's aid is a pointless exercise, is the idea. Or worse, it's offensive. Had I been any other women, woman in that politically correct playground, she says, I might very well have been offended had a man stepped in, feeling that I would have stood just as much chance of taking the robber on in a fight as any man. But I'm not any other woman in that playground. I live in reality. Had that man tried to hurt me, I'd have been overpowered. It might have been nice to have a little muscle to back me up. And she talks about uh, this is Faith Moore of PJ Media. She talks about an article in Scary Mommy where a woman named Rita Templeton says, she, she says, how can I teach my sons that women are equals in every way, yet still tell them that they're the most likely the ones who are expected to pay on a date and open doors and adopt the general attitude of ladies first when interacting with the opposite sex? She says, if I were dating, I'd far rather date a man who makes me feel special with those little gestures that one who treats, than one who treats our quality time the same way he would an outing with his best bud. My daughter Faith Moore concludes with this. Those little gestures aren't just to make us feel special. They're to let us know we're safe. That the things a man does to tell us that even though he's twice our size and twice as strong, he won't hurt us. He pulls out our chair or pays for our meal or opens the door for us, not because we don't know how to pull out chairs, open doors, or pay for things, but because it shows us that he'll be using his superior strength to care for us, not kill us. And that if someone comes along who seems like he does want to kill us, he'll use his superior strength to make sure that other guy takes a hike. You can have it one of two ways. Either women are exactly the same as men and can be treated the exactly the same way, or they are not the same and deserve a little extra consideration in a world in which 
for various reasons, not just because they're smaller, but also because they're taking care of children. No woman with a child on her hip should have to face down a robber. You know, you should, a guy should do that. The guy, the guy should do it. And I mean, that, this is the thing. If you can have it one or two ways. This nonsense that we are being told, the psychosis that men and women are the same, which also doesn't make any sense because then they tell you he's a man, he's a woman inside a man's body. I mean, if they're the same, how would he know? How would he know? He's a woman inside. It doesn't make any sense. So it's, it's just completely irrational. Uh, and it's, it's irrational and it lead, makes the world worse and it makes women's life especially worse. It's women who get it in the neck through feminism. Stupid stuff, sexual follies. Play that thing again. I'd love to see it. All right. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I hope tomorrow we will have air conditioning, but we will, whether we have air conditioning or not, we will have the mailbag. So get your questions in if you're a subscriber. We will answer them all. Answers guaranteed 100% correct. See you then.